Hi, I'm Joseph Feraldi. I want to thank you for joining us here at Bayside Chapel Online. Our prayer is that today's service will be a blessing to you, that it will encourage you in your journey with Jesus Christ, and it will help you to see all that God has in store for you. We would love to hear from you on how God is using this ministry to bless you, and we'd love the opportunity to pray for you. Just send us an email at amen at baysidechapel.org. Remember that you can stay in touch with us at any time. Just visit the App Store and search for our app at Bayside Chapel of NJ. Also, if God is using this ministry to bless you, we'd like to give you the opportunity to partner with us financially. Simply go online to BaysideChapel.org or use the Bayside Chapel app and choose whatever option works best for you. Enjoy today's message. You ever been stuck in one of those seemingly endless cycles of sin and confession? Right, you mess up. You feel awful, you pray to God, you confess, promise you'll never do it again. A few days goes by and you're back in the same pattern, same cycle. See, I think we've all felt like that, like a rescued sheep who just keeps jumping in the same ditch over and over again. Or maybe this scenario, one like it, uh, sounds a little bit familiar. You come to church on a Sunday, you hear... Uh, the, the word proclaimed and preached and, and you, it, the Lord is speaking to you so clearly. You're singing worship songs and, and you, you just feel so attuned to God. And you feel like the, the, the pastor speaking right to you. All these things, everything, you, you got the, 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 the Jesus goosebumps. Um, you know, all these things you got, you, you, you make a commitment to God. God, I'm, I'm going to change things now. Lord, I'm making a commitment to prioritize prayer. I'm making a commitment to start reading my Bible. I'm making a commitment to join a life group. I'm making a commitment to start allowing you to defeat this nagging sin that I have. And then, and you're, you're serious about it. You get home after church, you're still on fire from uh, the, the service. And then your kids start driving you crazy. Or you start arguing with your spouse few hours goes by on Sunday, and then you realize you're starting to get stressed because that to-do list that you had that was really long didn't get done at all over the weekend. Then you're starting to think about work the upcoming week, and you set your alarm for early Monday morning because you're making the commitment. You're going to get up early Monday, and you're going to start your time of prayer. You're going to start your devotions. But Sunday night comes, and you really are not wanting the week to start, so you stay up as late as you possibly can, maybe watching an extra episode or three of your favorite show, and by the time you wake up Monday morning, you're exhausted, and you keep hitting snooze over and over again, and then you're there, and, and, and you're kind of just groggy, and you're sitting there with your phone, and oh, Lord, I'm, I promise I'll, I'll start tonight. I promise I'll start tonight. Tonight comes, and then nothing. The week goes by, you go back to church, and you do it all over again. Right, And this time you're back at church and you're saying, God, I blew it again. I messed up. I know I keep messing up. It's, it's been another stressful week. So you go and you confess that same nagging sin that you've had. Lord, I'm sorry this week for giving into that lustful thought. I'm sorry, Lord, for, for not following through with the commitments that I made last week when I was here in your house. Well, I'm sorry, Lord, for having a few too many drinks this week. I'm sorry for losing my temper with my kids. I'm sorry for that, that struggle with, with road rage that I just can't seem to get under control. Lord, I'm sorry for all of these things, and I need help. Forgive me. 
help me. And then keeps going over and over and over again. See, more often than not, you have good intentions, but those good intentions never actually result in any kind of uh, changed actions. And it's frustrating. It's tiring. It's exhausting. It's discouraging. You're always feeling guilty. Always feeling shameful. I've been stuck in cycles like this, and I really think almost every single Christian has. Maybe even this morning, you're right smack in the middle of one of these cycles. Well, these kinds of cycles aren't unique to us. Because even as far back as the Old Testament, underneath the Old Covenant, we see how God's people couldn't seem to escape from this uh, seemingly endless repetitive pattern. Now, this pattern is sometimes referred to as uh, the Deuteronomic cycle, um, or it's a cycle that you see in the book of Judges, but you see this uh, all in the Old Testament. It's called the Deuteronomic uh, cycle because in the fifth book of the Old Testament, Deuteronomy, that's where... uh, Israel's in the land of promise. They finally made it there. And then God tells them while they're in the land of promise, he communicates to them and says, if you obey me, if you follow me, if you love me, you're going to stay in the land. You're going to prosper. I'll make sure that none of your enemies overtake you. But if you rebel against me, if you turn to other idols, if you refuse to love those around you, if you neglect and ignore me, if you keep relying on yourself, then... I'm going to allow others to come in and take you out. They're going to destroy the city. They're going to destroy the temple. And so all throughout the Old Testament, there's this pattern. The people of Israel sin. They rebel. God sends some kind of uh, discipline. They feel awful. They repent. They ask for forgiveness. God shows grace. And then they keep repeating that cycle over and over again. And this went on for hundreds and hundreds of years until finally 605 B.C., when God made good on his word and sent the Babylonians to destroy Israel. 605 BC, that's when Babylon under King Nebuchadnezzar besieged Jerusalem and took a bunch of the Jews captive. And that was when Daniel was taken captive. Remember, he was a teenager at that time. So he, the teenage Daniel, he remained faithful to God. He rose up in the ranks through the Babylonian um, government And he had a pretty high position as a government official. He put a lot of years in. He served faithfully underneath all the the different kings. Daniel now, that we'll see when we dive into chapter 9, he's now in his 80s, somewhere in his mid-80s. Babylon has been defeated. Persia is the nation that's ruling. There's a lot of upheaval. There's a lot of uncertainty going on. And it's been over 60 years now at this point that Daniel's been in exile. And he's been praying to God. He desperately wants to see Israel restored to the land. He desperately wants to see the name and works of God proclaimed among the nations. He desperately wants to see the temple rebuilt. He wants to get back to church. He misses worshiping with his family and his his brothers and sisters. And he desperately wants to see revival come among his people. So this morning, as we come to Daniel chapter 9, we're going to see this aging prophet slash politician, uh, he's going to crawl to God in humility and confession. He, he goes to God on behalf of the disobedient and rebellious Israel. He, Daniel goes to God searching for crumbs of mercy, but God is going to give him so much more than he asks. And maybe by the end of this worship service, you're going to be convinced that God has so much more in store for you than that exhausting sin cycle. 
So Daniel chapter 9, starting in verse 1. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, by descent a Mede, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. So this is the scene. Daniel's in exile. He's reading the Bible. He's studying the scroll of the prophet Jeremiah. And he recognizes, I love how it says here, it says according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet, right? He recognizes the, the dual authorship of scripture and that it's the divinely inspired word of God. And God speaks to him. God speaks to Daniel, not audibly this time, not, not through a vision, not through a dream, not through a revelation. God speaks to Daniel this time through the scriptures. So let's never lose sight of that fact, that God speaks to us most clearly through his word. It's the primary way that God communicates with us. The Bible is the living and active voice of the Father. It's the soul-piercing, heart-revealing, life-transforming, inspired word of God. So, that means if you want a word from God, you get into the word of God. All right? If you want a word from God, you get into the word of God. God speaks to us most clearly through the word. So Daniel's in the word. He's reading Jeremiah's book, um, and he comes across this in, in what is in our Bibles, Jeremiah 25 and 29. And Jeremiah says this, he says, listen to me, because what I'm about to say came straight from God. So Daniel's reading this. Daniel reads God's words and God says, Israel's going to become a wasteland. You're going to serve the king of Babylon for 70 years. You'll be in Babylon for 70 years, but then I'll come and do for you all the good things I promised and I'll bring you home again. And then this is the context in which that Beautiful verse is given. For I know the plans I have for you, God says. They're good plans to give you a future and a hope. In those days when you pray, I'll listen. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you'll find me. I'll end your captivity. I'll restore your fortunes. I'll gather you and bring you home again to your own land. So Daniel's reading this. He's moved by tears because he's feeling so passionately his desire to see God exalted, and he's feeling so strongly the conviction of Israel's sin and rebellion. And he's, so he's sitting there reading Jeremiah's scroll, and he starts doing the math. So Jeremiah wrote that in 605 BC, and that was the first wave of the Jews to Babylon. So 70 years of exile, and Daniel's kind of doing the math. Well, all right, that was 605 BC. It's now 539 BC, 66 years. Wait, it's almost 70 years. So this really, this burdens Daniel, but it also really, really excites him, right? So what is he going to do now with all this information? He's going to pray about it. He can't think of anything else, anything better, anything more important than going to God in prayer. Daniel's compelled to pray. What compels him? Well, he's compelled by the problems of the world, right? He's compelled to pray because he's so distraught by what's going on in his nation. But he's also compelled by the promises of God's word because of what God wrote in Jeremiah. So we're going to learn something from Daniel's beautiful prayer here that comes next. And what Daniel's prayer teaches us is that God hears the honest prayers of the humble. God hears the honest prayers of the humble. We never have to doubt that God hears us. Our cries 
reach his ears. He hears every single one of our pleas. Daniel knew this. This is why he made it a regular practice to pray regularly, three, at least three times a day, every single day. And that's why he prays the way he does here. Verse 3. He says, then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. Daniel's heart is moved so deeply as he approaches God in total humility. He's he's feeling so burdened by his sins. And he's feeling so burdened by the sins of Israel. Verse 4. I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. So Daniel starts his prayer by acknowledging God's character. Right? He's, God, you're great, you're awesome, you're faithful, you're loving, unlike us. And then Daniel follows this adoration of God with this lengthy confession. Starting in verse 5, Daniel says, We have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. Now notice how Daniel takes just as much responsibility for the exile here. Right? He's, not, he's not saying, they have sinned and done wrong. The people that you made me profit over, it's all their fault. Daniel doesn't say that. He says, we. He uses the word we and us like over a dozen times here. We have sinned. We have fallen short of your standard. God, we have disobeyed your word. We have rebelled. Verse 7. To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us, open shame. As at this day, to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of of Jerusalem, And to all Israel, those who are near and those who are far away, in all the lands to which you've driven them because of the treachery that they've committed against you. To us, O Lord, belongs open shame. To our kings, to our princes, and to our fathers, because we have sinned against you. Daniel's saying, God, you are righteous. We are not. We are all guilty before you. Every single one of us, our ancestors, our children, our grandchildren, everybody from kings to commoners, we are all guilty. Everyone is guilty and everyone knows it because of our shame is public. Everybody sees the destruction of, of our temple and the destruction of our city, the city, your holy city, God. And they're mocking us. But Daniel knew something else about God. He also knew that God was merciful and forgiving. Verse 9. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness. For we have rebelled against him and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God by walking in his laws, which he set before us by his servants, the prophets. Now, in Hebrew, these two attributes of God, where it says his mercy and forgiveness, they're actually both plural. So it says his mercies and his forgivenesses. And thank God for that, because just as Israel went to God time and time again, seeking his mercy, asking for forgiveness, that's a lot like us, isn't it? How many times we've gone to God over and over and over again, looking for a few crumbs of forgiveness. But God always responds out of the infinite storehouses of his never-ending mercy and his unfailing forgiveness. Verse 11. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, refusing to obey your voice. And the curse and oath that are written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out upon us because we've sinned against him. 
He's confirmed his words which he spoke against us and against our rulers who ruled us by bringing upon us a great calamity. For under the whole heaven there has not been done anything like what has been done against Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come upon us, yet we have not entreated the favor of the Lord our God, turning from our iniquities and gaining insight by your truth. Therefore, the Lord has kept ready the calamity and has brought it upon us, for the Lord our God is righteous in all the works that he has done, and we have not obeyed his voice. So Daniel's expressed adoration for God. He's expressed confidence. Confidence that, that God is able to keep his covenant. He's expressed confidence in God's character. And he's appealed to God in confession. Well, starting in verse 15, now Daniel's going to start concluding his prayer, this time with, with supplication, right, with, with the asking. Verse 15. And now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and have made a name for yourself, as at this day we have sinned, we have done wickedly, O Lord, according to all your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy hill, because for our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become a byword among all who are around us. Daniel saying, God, remember how you redeemed us in Egypt. Remember, do that again, Lord. Redeem us again. Make your name great among the nations. Verse 17, now therefore, O our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy. And for your own sake, O Lord, make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. And Daniel's saying, God, your glory is at stake. Your reputation is at stake. We've been a disgrace among the nations and we have not done well pointing people to you. Forgive us. Verse 18, oh my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations in the city that is called by your name. For we don't present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. Daniel's saying, God, hear my cry for help. Look at our situation. Look at what's going on and do something about it. Not because we deserve it, not because we're worthy, not because we earned it, not because of anything in ourselves, but because of you, because who you are. God, you are good and merciful. Verse 19. Oh Lord, hear. Oh Lord, forgive. Oh Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake, oh my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. All right, that was a long prayer. That's an amazing prayer. Daniel's confessing Israel's sin in his own time and time again. The people aren't worthy of God's redemption. Daniel knows that, right? So he's banking on God's mercy and justice. He's appealing to God's character. And Daniel's prayer is completely honest. And it's entirely humble, the way he approaches God in absolute humility. And God hears Daniel because God hears the honest prayers of the humble. You know, Daniel's prayer, though, it's not written for us to be like an exact model to follow. Uh, it nevertheless does highlight some important aspects um, of prayer. So if you've never prayed before, or it's not like a spiritual discipline that you've ever had, I mean, here, here's a really easy kind of format to follow um, for prayer, all right? Using this mnemonic device, pray, really easy, all right? P means pause. R means reflect. 
A means ask, Y means yield. All right, so, so you pause. Think about Daniel. Daniel began his prayer, how? By turning his face to God. Right? That was a very intentional thing he did. This wasn't some like, uh, off-the-cuff, quick, um, you know, fill-in-whatever-few-minutes-of-time-I-have kind of prayer. This wasn't a, uh, oh, you know what, i got to pray today, but I'll do it um, in the car when I'm getting gas. Um, this was intentional. This was disciplined. It, 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 it was, <laughs> Daniel was so focused on engaging God in such an undistracted conversation because he knew he was about to engage the creator of the universe in dialogue. So, like Daniel, we pause. We have to pause to prepare, to prepare our hearts, to prepare our minds, to, to put down our distractions, our wish lists, and to be present in God's presence. And then we prepare, we pause to praise. So we pause to prepare and we pause to praise. Then we reflect. What are we reflecting on? See, prayer uh, is... Uh, a primary aspect of prayer is reflection, reflecting on God's word, reflecting on who God is. How God has revealed himself to us in the scriptures. I love how we see that Daniel's motivation to prayer was as a result of his being in the word of God. It's prayer that touches God's heart is always going to be prayer that's rooted in God's word. So our prayer should always flow from our study of God's word. I love the way Luther said it. He said that we ought to take God's promises and fling them right back in his face. When you pray, you stand on the promises of God. You pause, you reflect, you ask. Right? That's one of the aspects of prayer is asking God for help, asking God for forgiveness, asking God to, to make you aware of all of the beautiful things that are yours in Christ Jesus. And then we petition, we seek his mercy and his forgiveness. And we pray for others like Daniel did. Pause, reflect, ask, and yield. All right, and this is the step of surrender. We pray like Jesus did. Lord, not my will, but yours be done. God, whatever it is that you have for me, I surrender to it. Think about if you're on a boat. If you're on a boat and you're, you have a boat hook and you see the shore, you throw the boat hook and you pulling yourself, you're getting the, the boat closer to shore. Are you pulling the shore closer to you? Or are you pulling yourself closer to the shore? Yourself, right? You're pulling yourself. That's how prayer is. We're aligning ourselves with God. We're not bending God to our wills and our objectives and our agendas. We're submitting to his. We're pulling ourselves to him. We're aligning ourselves with his will. So God hears the honest prayers of the humble. He heard Daniel's prayer, as he paused and reflected and asked God for so many things and forgiveness and that he would make good on his promise, and as he yielded, Daniel went to God looking for crumbs. He went to God looking for crumbs of mercy, for, for crumbs of forgiveness, for crumbs of restoration, but God says that he has something even better because that is just like our God, isn't it? 
God hears our honest and humble prayers. And then what we see from the rest of the chapter is God's answer to Daniel. And what we learn here is that God responds to repentance beyond expectation. Right? Daniel confessed and repented. He asked for God to make good on his promise of releasing Israel after their 70-year exile. And God responds to Daniel. And in his response to Daniel, he proves just how amazing he really is. He answers more than Daniel asked for. And he gives more than Daniel could even imagine. Verse 20. While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, and presenting my plea before the Lord my God for the holy hill of my God. While I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I'd seen in the vision at the first, came to me in swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice. So I love this. God is answering Daniel's prayer before Daniel even finishes prayer. Right before the word amen even came off of Daniel's mouth, God's already answering his prayer. His prayer moves heaven and God sends the angel Gabriel to him. Verse 22, he made me understand Speaking with me and saying, Oh, Daniel, I have now come out to give you insight and understanding. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out, and I've come to tell it to you, for you are greatly loved. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. Now, I love this because Gabriel's basically saying here, you started praying. When you started praying, I was sent to you. But before I even start responding to your hopes about this 70-year exile that you're hoping is going to come to an end, there's something really important that you need to hear. There's something really important that I want you to believe. There's something really important that I need you to know. Daniel, you are greatly loved. You are greatly loved. See, sometimes when we pray, it's easy to fall into the pit of self-condemnation, isn't it? I messed up again. I sinned again. I just, got, I just can't ever seem to get it right. God, you must be so angry with me. But listen, if you're in Christ, you are already so deeply loved. You are already accepted. You are you are already fully redeemed. You are completely righteous in Christ. You don't go before God on the basis of the mistakes that you made the last week. We only go before God on the basis of Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. So as Daniel is just thinking about this set of sevens, these, these 70 years that was on the nation of Israel, the 70 years of captivity prophesied by Jeremiah, it's as if God is saying through Gabriel... Daniel, you're asking about 70 years. Well, I'm going to show you some sevens that are really going to blow your mind. And then verses 24 to 27 detail the response to Daniel. Verse 24, the angel says, 70 weeks are decreed about your people in your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin and to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit and to anoint a most holy place. So because Daniel was just reading about Jeremiah's prophecy about the 70 years, uh, the 70 weeks here are understood to be um, 70 weeks of years, 77. So 70 times 7, 490, 490 years. So God is communicating to Daniel, is saying, yes, Daniel, I'm going to make good on my word to bring our people out of exile, but I'm going to do so much more than that. My plan for you isn't just to release you 
from exile, but my plan is to one day bring an end to all sin, all rebellion, once and for all. Verse 25. Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. Then for 62 weeks, it shall be built again with squares and moat, but in a troubled time. So here we learn that the 70 weeks that Daniel just talked about are now being broken up into three different um, segments, three different periods. So seven out of the 70 weeks, there's seven weeks of seven years, there's 62 weeks, and then there's one week of seven years. And verse 25 teaches us that in the first seven weeks, those seven sevens, Jerusalem and the temple are going to be rebuilt. And then after that, there's going to be a period of these 62 sevens where trouble is going to accompany the rebuilding of the temple in the city. Verse 26. And after the 62 weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end shall come with a flood and to the end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed. All right, so after the first two periods of time, the seven, sevens, and then the 62, sevens, we're told that an anointed one will be cut off. Well, if you were to take all these um, weeks um, as you know, literally as literal years, which you absolutely can do, we know that Artaxerxes uh, gave a decree um, to Nehemiah to go and rebuild uh, the wall in the city, and that was in 445 B.C., so if you go 69 weeks, 69 sevens after that, you get to 483 years. 483 years after 445 BC, we'll put you right around 30, 31 AD. Likely when Jesus, the Messiah, the anointed one, was cut off. So after the anointed one is rejected, judgment follows. We're told that people are going to come and destroy the city and the sanctuary. And that did happen in Jesus' day uh, in AD 70 under the Roman general Titus. And then verse 27 uh, now kind of zooms in on the, the final seven, the final week of seven. And he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week. And for half of the week, he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abomination shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. Now, these four verses... Um, you, I'm, they're really confusing. I'm, I'm just going to say that the more, honestly, the more I studied them, the more confusing it got. <laughs> there are no two commentators agree. Um, and, and that's okay, because we don't need to actually know all the specifics to see what God wants us to know. Um, but one of the things that they always debate about is who is this one that's going to make a strong covenant? Some say that it's Jesus. Jesus brought in a new covenant, and it was, it was a strong covenant. Um, it lasts for more than one week, though, so could it be Jesus? Um, could it have a double fulfillment? A lot of people uh, in this prophecy see um, uh, that there's going to be a time coming that Daniel's talking about when someone, not Jesus, is going to make some kind of unauthorized covenant with God's people, and then will break that covenant. Now, it's so easy to get bogged down in all the details of this. There are so many questions. Like I said, the commentators don't really agree. Um, people have been debating this and figuring this out for 2,000 years. I'm not going to be the one to finally say, oh, this is what it means. 
But what's important is that when we're reading this, we always understand that the main thing is the plain thing and the plain thing is the main thing. Okay, so when we're, when we're reading and studying this, we don't want to get so wrapped up in, in the obscure that we're missing the obvious, right? The point of the text is not how long these 70 weeks is going to go on for, but what their purpose is. See, we've already seen that God hears the honest prayers of the humble, right? We saw that Daniel so passionately pleaded with God for grace and mercy. He went crawling to God looking for crumbs, and we saw that God responded to his repentance way beyond his expectations. Daniel went looking for crumbs, wanting to get out of the 70 years of exile, and God says, I got one better. I'm going to give you a feast of grace, And here's the bottom line then of Daniel 9. When we crawl to God begging for crumbs, he calls us to feast on the blessings of Christ. We ask God for scraps of forgiveness and he floods us with his grace. We crawl to God confessing again that same sin, wondering just how mad God is with us. But then he says, I love you. He tells us he loves us and he gives us his son. See, the whole point of this chapter is found in verse 24. Let's look at that again. Because this is what the angel is telling Daniel. This is the whole purpose of these 70 weeks. This divine time frame is for this. 70 weeks are decreed about your people in your holy city. Here are the six reasons for your se- the 70 weeks. To finish the transgression. To put an end to sin. To atone for iniquity. To bring in everlasting righteousness. To seal both vision and profit. And to anoint the most holy place or person. Now these six things listed in verse 24 are all pointing to Christ. They're all blessings of our salvation in Christ because of the death and resurrection of Jesus. God blesses us with more than we even know to ask for. Jesus came to finish the transgression, right? So because of the cross, transgression is finished in you. It's finished in me. Jesus came to put an end to sin. Because of the cross, you've died to sin. You're no longer a sinner. You're a saint. Jesus came to atone for iniquity because of the cross. Your sins have been paid for. They've been covered for. You're forgiven. Your death penalty has been paid. Jesus came to bring in everlasting righteousness. Well, because of his work on the cross, you've received the very righteousness of Christ himself when you put your faith in him. Jesus is the most holy one who brought the kingdom of heaven down to men. He's the ultimate fulfillment of all vision, the ultimate fulfillment of all prophecy. He came the first time to set in motion the expansion of his kingdom, and he's going to come again to make visible every invisible spiritual reality. We will see him face to face, and he will reign with us. We will reign with him. He will be our God, and we will be his. Amen. See, this is great news for those of us who find ourselves crawling to Jesus over and over again, asking him to forgive us for things he's already forgiven us about. This sin and transgression are no longer who you are. You've been crucified with Christ. Your old nature died with him on the cross. In Christ, you're completely forgiven. In Christ, you're entirely righteous. In Christ, you are so absolutely loved by the Father. So don't for one second think that... God uh, somehow reluctantly like takes you back every single time when you're going to him. Because the reality is, if you're in Christ, God never let you go. Never once. Crawl to God, begging for crumbs, and you'll be feasting on the blessings of Christ. 
In Christ, God has given you so much more than that exhausting cycle of sin and forgiveness. I love what Dane Ortland says about this in his book, Deeper. I'm going to close with this. Listen to these words. He says, As you despair of yourself, agonizing over the desolation wrought by your failures, your weaknesses, your inadequacies, let that despair take you way down deep into honesty with yourself. For there you'll find a friend, the living Lord Jesus himself, who will startle and surprise you with his gentle goodness as you leave self behind in repentance and bank on him afresh in faith. The might of heaven, the power that flung galaxies into existence has swept you into himself and you're there to stay amid the storms of your little existence, the sins and sufferings, the failure and faltering, the waywardness and wandering. He's going to walk you right into heaven. He's not just with you. He is in you and you in him. His destiny now falls on you. So consider the darkness that remains in your life, the spiritual lethargy, the habitual sin, the deep-seated resentment, that place in your life where you feel most defeated. Our sins loom large. They seem so insurmountable, but Christ and your union with him loom larger still. As deep as your failure goes, Christ and your union with him go deeper still. As strong as your sin feels, the bond of your oneness with Jesus Christ is stronger still. Live the rest of your life mindful of your union with the Prince of Heaven. Rest in the knowledge that your sins and failures can never kick you out of Christ. Let an ever-deepening awareness of your union with him strengthen your resistance to sin. See it in the Bible. Ponder his tireless care for you. You've been strengthened with the power to fight and overcome sin because the power that raised Jesus from the dead now resides in you, living and active, for Jesus Christ himself resides in you. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, you are so good. You are so good beyond what our minds can even fathom. God, we thank you for just how loving and merciful and and kind of a father you are. Lord, that when we come to you looking for crumbs, just like the prodigal, Lord, that you dress us in the finest clothing and throw a banquet. Lord, you want to give us a feast and you've given us a feast in Christ. Lord, thank you for every one of those spiritual realities that are true. Every one of those uh, blessings of salvation that have come to us because of the work of Jesus Christ. Lord, help us to truly uh, comprehend what those realities are. Lord, teach us to live out of the, the truth of our union with Christ. Lord, that we have as those who are in Christ that we're dead to sin. That we're no longer slaves to it that you've given us your spirit to overcome that nasty sin cycle. And God, for those times where we do mess up over and over again, Lord, we thank you that we're forgiven. We thank you that you have already forgiven us. Lord, so now we come to you and we, we confess whatever it is that you're putting on our hearts or minds this morning. Lord, we just lay it before you. God, and we look forward to that day when Jesus will return for us. 
for he will return and usher in his eternal kingdom here on earth. Lord, and until that day comes, Lord, may we live boldly and confidently for Jesus and out of the the deep realities and the, 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 the deep well of our union with him. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.